I Take History with My Coffee podcast, episode 18, The House of Wisdom. There was a surge in spirit and an awakening in intelligence. The first of this dynasty to cultivate science was the second caliph, Abu Jafar al-Mansur. He was, in addition to his profound knowledge of logic and law, very interested in philosophy and observational astronomy. He was fond of both and of the people who worked in these fields. Said al-Andalus, The Categories of Nations, 1068. Welcome back to the I Take History with My Coffee podcast, and thank you for continuing our exploration of the early modern period. In 1109, a young English scholar, Adelard of Bath, a master at the Cathedral School of Lyon, France, decided to embark upon an intellectual journey. His parting words to his students were, we agreed amongst ourselves that I would investigate the studies of the Arabs according to my ability, but you would become no less proficient in the insecurity of French opinions. Adelard ventured to the Holy Land for different reasons than those who had heeded Pope Urban II's call in 1096. Those people had been driven by religious fervor, chivalric codes, or just plain desire for power and wealth. Adelard was on a crusade for knowledge. He had already deemed the learning of the West was lacking. He already understood the value of travel in the pursuit of learning. Quote, it will be worthwhile to approach teachers of different people, to commit to memory what you may find is most finely expressed among each of them. For what the French studies are ignorant of, those across the Alps will unlock. What you will not learn amongst the Latins, eloquent Greece will teach you. End quote. Like others in the Latin West of the early 12th century, Adelard had been given a taste of the knowledge held in the Muslim world. And so he made a pilgrimage to seek out this knowledge for himself. He was, perhaps, unprepared for what he would encounter. In the 7th century, Islam spread rapidly from its origins in the Arabian Peninsula to become a significant religious and political force in the Middle East and beyond. The spread of Islam was facilitated by the military campaigns of early Muslim leaders, the appeal of Islamic teachings to diverse populations, and the establishment of a powerful caliphate to govern and expand the Muslim world. 
Under the Umayyad Caliphate, the Islamic Empire became one of the largest and most powerful in the world. The Umayyads made Damascus their capital and established a centralized government that spanned from modern-day Spain to Pakistan. They introduced several administrative and political innovations, such as creating a professional army and a system of taxation that helped maintain their power. The Umayyad Caliphate was marked by periods of relative stability and prosperity. But by the early 8th century, Arab expansion had slowed. A failed attempt in 717 to capture Constantinople preserved, at least for the moment, a kernel of the Byzantine Empire. And the defeat by the Franks at the Battle of Poitiers in 733 ended any thoughts of expanding further into Europe from Spain. Persia at the time was the largest non-Arab country and had the largest population of non-Arab Muslims. Most of these were Mawali, those newly converted to Islam. Some of these had converted from Christianity, but most had been believers of Zoroastrianism, the main religion of Central Asia. There was discontent among the Mawali, who believed that they were being treated as second-class citizens. Added to this was the religious division between Shiite and Sunni Muslims, complicated by regional and tribal conflicts. In 750, the Abbasid family was able to cobble together the support of these various disaffected groups and depose the Umayyads. Those who supported the Abbasids soon discovered that not much would change under the new regime. The Abbasids continued many of the same policies as their predecessors, further strengthening the empire's central administration. On the other hand, the Persian Moalis would not be disappointed. In 762, Talif al-Mansur decided to move the capital from Damascus to a group of market villages on the banks of the Tigris River in central Iraq. One of these went by the Persian name of Baghdad. Al-Mansur named his new capital Madinat al-Salam, the city of peace. The move from Damascus to what would become the city of Baghdad symbolized a significant shift within the Muslim world. It represented a shift in the center of gravity from west to east. Baghdad was founded in the heartland of Mesopotamia and the former Persian Empire, close to the former Persian capital of Tesaphon. The Abbasids wanted to be seen as successors to the old Persian Empire and actively cultivated all things Persian. Al-Mansur recognized the rising power and influence of the Persians within his realm, and he celebrated them as the, quote, mainstay of our dynasty, end quote. He adopted the elaborate Persian court protocols, made members of important Persian families key administrators in his government. In 
and he even became obsessed with Persian astrology. The area had historically been an essential part of the ancient trade routes. Now add the influx of the caliph, his administrators, court, troops, and additional merchants and artisans. Within a couple of generations, Baghdad became the largest and wealthiest city in the world during the early medieval period. Muslim historian Al-Yakabi, writing a century later, described Baghdad as having, quote, no equal on earth, either in the Orient or the Occident. It is the most extensive city in area, in importance, in prosperity, in abundance of water, and in healthful climate. No one is better educated than their scholars, better informed than their authorities in tradition, more expert in their physicians, more competent than their calligraphers, better jurists than their magistrates, more eloquent than their preachers. End quote. The wealth and stability achieved under the early Abbasids allowed for increased cultural pursuits. The Abbasids brought together regions that had not been in contact with one another for a long time. The Persian Empire stood between India and China in the east and the classical Mediterranean in the west. It was always at the crossroads of the interchange of information, science, and culture. The Abbasid Empire was multicultural and multi-faith, bringing together Muslims, Christians, Jews, Arabs, Greeks, Persians, and other indigenous peoples. Baghdad would be a microcosm of this greater empire. This would initiate a period of cultural and intellectual advancement, often called the Islamic Golden Age. But this cultural flowering would not be spontaneous, but be part of the organized effort by the caliphs themselves to gather, at first, Persian and Indian knowledge, and then later they would add the Greeks. Historian John William Draper described what life was like under Caliph Harun al-Rashid, the grandson of al-Mansur. Quote, During the period of the Caliphs, the learned men of the Christians and the Jews were not only held in great esteem, but were appointed to posts of great responsibilities and were promoted to the higher-ranking jobs in government. He never considered to which country a learned person belonged, nor his faith and belief, but only his excellence in the field of learning. End quote. Fullest expression of the Abbasid's cultural and intellectual ambitions was the Bayit al Hikmah, the House of Wisdom. At its height, it was part translation center, library, and Research Institute. It was staffed by scholars from all over the world, including Muslims, 
Christians, Jews, and Zoroastrians who worked together to translate and study teaks from Greek, Persian, Indian, and other traditions. It was a center of innovation where new ideas and technologies were developed and refined. Caliph Harun al-Rashid is often credited with founding the House of Wisdom in the late 8th century, but it is possible that he expanded upon a library already established by his grandfather. Al-Mansur created a repository for the growing number of Persian, Sanskrit, and Greek works being translated, studied, and copied. The library was modeled after the ones of classical Persia, and Al-Mansur provided administrative and financial support to the scholars. It would be Al-Rashid's son, the Caliph Al-Mamun, who would expand the House of Wisdom from a library to an academy. The House of Wisdom became the hub of the great translation efforts promoted by the Caliphate. Much of the initial focus was on Persian or Indian texts, mainly in astronomy, astrology, and mathematics. Christian scholars in the Near East had been translating many Greek works into Syriac. The Abbasid Caliphs would take advantage of these experienced scholars and commission them to translate these works from Syriac into Arabic. Eventually, Muslim scholars were able to translate directly from Greek to Arabic. By the time of Al-Mamun, the pace of translation had picked up and expanded to include all Greek knowledge in the sciences and philosophy. Many important works were already on their second or third translations, and scholars were beginning to go beyond mere translation. They commented on, reinterpreted, and sought to reconcile them to Islamic belief. Scholars were most interested in the scientific and engineering learning of the Greeks and Romans. This was practical knowledge necessary for the administration of a large spread empire. They were not concerned with plays, poetry, or literature. The Arabs already had a robust literary tradition and much of this was inspired by the literature of Persia. In this time, you have the stories of the Arabian Nights, in which al-Rashid plays a role in several of these. So they sought out the works of Euclid in geometry, Ptolemy in astronomy and geography, and Galen in medicine. Many of these works came to the Arabs via Byzantium, Many scholars had fled east in the face of the regressive policies against learning, and they brought with them several Greek texts and translations. But some were obtained directly through diplomacy. Requests for specific works became part of treaties. One of these, for instance, asked the Byzantine emperor to lend Baghdad a copy of Ptolemy's work on geography known as the Almagest. Many of the titles we know these works by are Latin versions of the Arabic versions of the original Greek. 
for mathematics, the Abbasids looked towards India. In the 9th century, a scholar associated with the House of Wisdom, Al-Khwarizmi, wrote several influential books, including Kitab al-Jabah. Al-Jabah is where we get the word algebra from. Al-Khwarizmi introduced the concept of algebraic equations and techniques for solving them. He also made significant contributions to the development of trigonometry. His work helped spread Arabic numerals, which are really Indian numerals, and the decimal place value system throughout the Islamic world and beyond. The word algorithm is derived from his Latin name, algorithmus, as he is credited with introducing the concept of algorithms to the Western world. Besides science and mathematics, Muslim scholars were also interested in philosophy, and in this, they had a love for Aristotle. Like the later scholars of the Christian West, they saw Aristotle as a universal thinker. Unlike Plato, Aristotle was interested in the material world, animals, plants, physics, as well as politics, poetry, ethics, and metaphysics. There was something in everything Aristotle wrote that was worth studying. And along with that, Aristotle was rational. As we saw with scholasticism in the West, Islamic thinkers see Aristotle's logical analysis as a means to understand the material world and theology. Ibn Rushd, known by his Latin name of Averroes, was a Muslim philosopher, physician, and jurist active in Spain during the 12th century. A century before St. Thomas Aquinas, his commentaries on Aristotle's works sought to reconcile the teachings of Aristotle with Islamic theology, arguing that reason and philosophy could be used to understand and interpret the Quran. He emphasized the importance of rational inquiry and critical thinking and argued that religious doctrine and philosophical inquiry should be complementary rather than in conflict. And like Aquinas, his thinking ran afoul of religious conservatives who banned much of his work throughout the Islamic world. Over 150 years after the rise of the Abbasid dynasty, scholars translated nearly all the known works of Greek science and philosophy. The support for this effort was not restricted to the caliphs. It became a feature throughout Abbasid society. It was supported by the social and political elite, princes, merchants, and military officers. It was seen as a means of social advancement as well as a sign of status. Institutions of higher education appeared in Muslim cities throughout the empire. In time, thinkers would go beyond just translation and create original works in science and philosophy. We will return to many of these as we discuss the foundations of European science in later episodes. So why did it occur here rather than the lands of the former Roman Empire? 
There are several different explanations, but here are four significant factors. The elimination of frontiers. The Arab conquests had joined together a diverse group of cultures stretching from India to the Atlantic. Arabic became the universal language, much like Latin in the West. The Arabs learned the art of papermaking from the Chinese. This provided an inexpensive way to reproduce books long before it appeared in the Latin West. And finally, the Arabs saw their newly conquered territory as, quote, a garden protected by our spears, end quote. These were cultures worthy of protecting, not destroying. This made them receptive to new ideas from the Greeks, the Persians, and the Hindus. The Abbasids reached their peak of their political power and influence at the end of the 9th century. During the 10th century, there was a slow fragmentation of the Abbasid Empire until the Caliph's real authority extended only to the area around Baghdad. In the mid-11th century, the region was taken over by the Seljuk Turks, the ones who would face the first crusading armies from Europe. The Seljuks themselves would see a decline in the wake of the invasions by the Mongols from Central Asia. The Mongols captured Baghdad in 1258 and sacked it. Like the Great Library in Alexandria, any physical evidence of the House of Wisdom was destroyed. The Mongols left Baghdad in ruins. This golden age of intellectual achievement did not entirely end with the Mongol destruction of Baghdad. The center of activity shifted from the east back to the west. Scholars will gravitate to Muslim-held Spain, and the next great translation center will emerge in Toledo. Not a lot of Bath arrived in the region as this great intellectual movement declined, but he knew that the knowledge of the West paled in comparison. But others would soon follow in his footsteps. The Crusades and the resurgence of international commerce would rekindle an interest in the classical world. In the next episode, we return to Europe, Italy to be precise, and look at the beginnings of humanism and the Italian Renaissance. As always, Maps and other supporting resources for all episodes are listed in the episode description. In the meantime, for more historical content, please visit the I Take History with My Coffee blog at itakehistory.com and also consider liking the I Take History with My Coffee Facebook page. Feedback and comments are welcome at itakehistory at gmail.com. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can support this podcast by buying me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash I Take History. If you know anyone else who would enjoy this podcast, please let them know. And thanks 
for listening.